Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Ogasho Galio Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we're plumbing the deep, dark recesses of Black Air's top secret alien dissection laboratory and the even deeper, darker recesses of Pete Wisdom's manly mind and Excalibur number 90, Blood Eagle. Excalibur number 90 was originally published in October 1995, and the creative team is Warren Ellis on writing, Larry Stroman, Derek Gross, Ken Lashley, and Jeff Moy on pencils, Tom Weggers and Philip Moy. Don Hudson and James Palmiotti on inks, Joe Rojas on colors, and Digital Chameleon on color separations, letters by Comicraft, and Suzanne Gaffney and Bob Harris on editing. The next worst word you can couple with the word fan is, you guessed it, the word fiction. A Grade A Gray Day, a female fanfic by S. Sad. The Lappy hummed quietly to itself. Curious, said Strongbad. Very curious indeed. Since that's totally the way I talk. His inbox flickered zero new messages back at him. Oh, this is definitely fiction. Ahoy, Strongbad, said Homestar Runner, striding casually into the room. You'll never have to answer another email again. Grandiose, replied Strongbad, eyelids lowered. Welcome back to the podcast that only sees Pete Wisdom now, and maybe sometimes <laughs> Kitty Pride and what she sees in Pete Wisdom. But who are we? Starting with myself, I am Dr. Anna Papyrus, a person who tries to pass off her obsessions with the Reverse Devil Boys as scholarship, and usually succeeds in fooling you. I am co-project lead of the comic scholarship social media thingy, Sequential Scholars, where we are wrapping up a series of threads on Chris Claremont's less than triumphant, but nonetheless interesting, <laughs> return to the X-Men for the Revolution era. I am also Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and well, I'm not thrilled about him not being in this one again. He's probably having a better day than Pete or Rory, so I'll allow it. I am joined, as always, by Mav. Please lead us through the corridors of your twisted mind. Well, what I was thinking is I, I'm we're going to transition this entire podcast to just discussing the uh, card game Overpower. Overpower, the classic tradable card game that ran from 1995 till 1997, and that's it. We, we really... Really want to play the overpower game, I, I think. Actually, I think it might have gone to like 99, but but barely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, this this book, uh, for people who don't have it in front of it, is very proud to like advertise that there is a free overpower card oh right here mm -hmm. inside. Because, you know, hey, kids, you don't care about Magic the Gathering. You care about overpower. Everybody... Everybody loves overpower. <laughs> Hi, my name is Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav. <laughs> I am 
<laughs> I'm the co-host of uh, Vox Popcast, another podcast where we discuss pop culture, and I'm a teaching assistant professor of digital narrative interactive design. I think I actually got my title right for once um, at the University of Pittsburgh, where I'm I'm currently knee deep trying to like come up with like some some postmodern stuff to teach for next week. So that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at right that right now in my life because I've got a I'm teaching a class on short story on short fiction and try to decide which you know how am I going to introduce postmodernism to my students so you got to ha- have a little taste of that as you do every time when i introduce myself on this show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you for that andrew please recount your mysterious past uh, my only mysterious past is that there's no photographs of me in any of the five years of high school yearbooks what? Uh, and, yeah <laughs> no i mean we have to stop and maybe talk about that that is strange andrew that is strange uh, it, it, it's not exciting i just don't like to be photographed so i never showed Aww. up and then Aww. anytime the photographer would try to get like candid shots, I would flip them the bird, knowing that they wouldn't be able to use the shot. <laughs> I knew I the mean, photographer. Awesome. I wasn't being a jerk. Respect. So, yes. Hello, Respect. I'm Dr. J. Andrew DeMann. <laughs> I am an elusive photographic subject on the faculty at St. John's <laughs> University and on the tweets over at Sequential Scholars. I write stuff and teach stuff, and I am ready to state outright that I just don't like Pete Wisdom. Try. <laughs> Respect for those who do. I think I get it. But it's not working for me. That is fine. I really, that is fine. Uh, I, I just really thought you were going to explain that you had some kind of powers like the like the X-Men character Forget Me Not, <laughs> which allowed you to get through high school without anybody actually remembering that you were over there. <laughs> <laughs> is it going to be a long game of that character showing up again in Legion of X after being part of the team in the first issue and then never appearing again? Who knows? He's in, anyway. he's in every issue. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's there all the time. <laughs> All the time. (laughs) We are joined this week by an excellent returning guest who declared during a previous appearance that she's been a pride and wisdom shipper since 1995 and has no intention of changing her bad opinion now. The pod is thrilled to welcome back Liz Large. Hello, Liz. Hello. I'm so excited to be here where my bad opinions are not only welcomed, but appreciated. Definitely appreciated. Let me give you a little a little bio and we'll get into it. Liz Large writes about comics at Comics XF and about books and other pop culture things at Gatecrashers. We will link some of her recent work in our show notes. She also co-wrote the Excalibur Primer with me over at Comics XF. We put Girl Scroll from Heck on it and we will not be apologizing at this time. So we're so excited to see you again, Liz. Uh, I know we did your comics origin story on your last appearance with Excalibur number 17. Fabulous issue and episode. But oh, that was a I'm long interested. time ago. <laughs> Did you forget? But well, that was like a year and some ago. So I, it was I just, a while well, ago. I, it doesn't feel like we've been doing the show that long. It, like, so, I know. So it's like, oh wow, that was a long. That was many, many issues ago. <laughs> I know. Wow, okay. Can you believe there was an Excalibur seventeen? Who is Alan Davis? Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> But Liz, I wanted to talk to you about your history with Pete and Kitty. I know that you had a great affection for these characters in your youth. So tell me about your origin story with these characters. Like, did you meet them for the first time in the pages of Excalibur? Was it the Pride and Wisdom mini? Take me through it. Oh, it was definitely in the pages of Excalibur. I think it was actually issue 89, uh, the one before this Dream Nails, uh, in the Dream Nails series. Because uh, for a while, you know, me and my friends would do the thing where we'd all buy one issue of an arc and then we'd trade Mm -hmm. them because, you know, obviously... We're in, what, fourth grade? We don't have $5? Come on, that's so much money. <laughs> I came up buying three issues myself, so we'd split it up. So I'm pretty sure I bought 89, read that, and then read these other two out of order. But it sold me. I From that, from this from this one three-issue little arc, 
I was sold on Kitty and Beat. I read Pride and Wisdom later. That solidified it. Um, I did spend a lot of time reading fan fiction about them. This was back in the olden days before you had like websites with tagging and curated lists and things like that. So I was on a designated Pride and Wisdom website called Fonts of Wisdom. <gasps> oh, my God. Huge fan. Uh, read oh that literally God. every day. I would come home. I'd come home from school. I would go on. I would then delete my internet history because I knew, you know, some of it was maybe above my reading level. But yeah, <laughs> truly, truly, I tell you, I was obsessed for a period of time. <laughs> oh my God, I want to talk about this more. I didn't know that there was a specific website and that fan fiction was involved. These are my passions. Like, how how popular was this back in the day? Like, I mean, we heard from Kate Coker, who I think was maybe involved in some of those spaces at the time, mm-hmm. too. And we're going to have her back to talk about it. That, you know, she was in some of those fan spaces and the Pete Wisdom was quite a popular character in those spaces. So, I mean, yeah, what's your sense of that? I mean, was it, was it a super active space? It was a very, I mean, they had, I mean, also there was like, because back then, I, I don't know if like you were very active, any of you were very active on like the fan fiction websites back then, but back then it was very much individualized websites for like mm-hmm. different yes. ships. So if you were, if you were a Kitty mm-hmm. Pete shipper and you were like a Kitty Rachel shipper, you would never have met. You were just mm-hmm. blocked off from each other for the best, probably. I mean, I go on Twitter. I see <laughs> yeah. what people are like. Um, well, <laughs> or, or, you tra- or you would travel the web ring. Like sometimes there'd be a web yes. ring that would take you from the, the mm-hmm. I, I was very, you know, very much into the early days of the internet. So yeah, it, there, there were ways, but yeah, it's it's hard. And um, we've talked about, we've talked on the show a little bit before about the outgrowths that um, came from Usenet of, you know, because Usenet had Rec Arts Comics X-Books or, and then originally Rec Arts Comics Marvel X-Books. And then as Usenet is dying, as people are sort of, more people are getting on the internet and it's no longer just a university thing and there's just people getting web TVs at home and they're in America Onlines and stuff, that's when you start having this explosion of uh, shipping websites they weren't called shipping websites yet they were just the fan site of that would be the site that covers you know pete and and kitty and there'd probably be four of them and you know maybe if you're lucky they might like link to each other and now you have a web ring they either link to each other or they'd have some sort of like lifelong feud that you know culminated in like just (laughs) like like, just the nastiest behavior well yeah so yeah like tell me i want to get back to that question like i mean like did you have people that you regularly talk to in that space and stuff like i mean how active was it i mean i was 10 years old so i was very uh no sharing (laughs) i did not talk to strangers Mm -hmm. on the internet i was you know if my if any of my mom is listening to this i did not talk to strangers on the internet um i want to make that really clear uh so no but i had some friends in real life who also read excalibur with me the ones that i was trading issues with and we would occasionally print out things from the internet on our you know home printers it would take forever you know the printer would jam 300 times and we would bring them to school and we would give them to each other and we treated a lot of these as though they were like actual uh canonical texts so there was for a period of time where i thought there was like a girl version of wolverine before there was a girl version of Wolverine, you know, mm-hmm. before Laura Kinney existed, I truly believed there was a female Wolverine character. I, I thought this was a real mm-hmm. person. No, this this person did not exist. This was just a very creative, very talented writer. I mean, ta- I assume very talented writer because they had a lot of backstory. Very intense. So yeah, I mean, this was like a very large, especially just because back then it was a lot harder to get access to every single issue of a comic, especially if you were a kid, because, you know, they weren't available digitally. You couldn't, if your store didn't have the back issues, you were out of luck. So, and the you know, the quarter bins were great, but you were getting issues one 15 45 60 62 63 45 you know like it was just so yeah it was it was very uh disorganized so 
yeah. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, like, I mean, my thing, it wasn't comics for me back then so much, but I mean, I was, I've mentioned this on the pod before, but like, I was obsessed with the TV show Lois and Clark when I was about 12, so just a little bit older than that. <laughs> and like, you know, this was, you know, in the mid-90s, so the same time as this comic book, probably probably in 1995. And it was so weird, yeah, because you couldn't get access to, like, I didn't have access to the reruns, like, I'd missed two seasons of the show by the time I got into it. So I'm like, on these, like, web rings and stuff, and like, people would do stuff like typing out the scripts to previous episodes oh so that you could catch up and then you'd be like reading mm-hmm. fan fiction and trying to piece it together and you weren't sure what happened in the show and what happened in the fan fiction and it was super wild because like yeah I would read so much fan fiction so much more of like the fan text than I would be able to consume of the actual text and I think that's like a really underserved sort of like phenomenon in fan spaces that doesn't get talked about enough so I love hearing about it can I ask <laughs> I want to know about the content of some of these fics, but I mean, I know this was a long time ago and everything, but I am curious about like how Pete Wisdom kind of emerged in the mind of young girls sort of like as a desirable person. Like, yeah, I, I mean, do you have a sense of that at all? I mean, so I do want to, I do want to clarify, like, I don't know, you know, the ages or genders of anyone who's doing this writing. I do assume that it was, you know, women just based on like, you know, occasionally yeah, there would be I like know. a self, uh, yeah. a very clear self-insert character. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, he was like, you know, just always like, I mean, maybe not even that suave. I, I mean, it was truly, as I recall, again, no. like it's been a while. The website no longer exists. Um, but if you did read Fonts of Wisdom, please DM me on Twitter because I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, <laughs> I'm actually but, yeah, perusing so- it now. I'm actually perusing archives right now as we speak. So, oh my God. um, it's. Oh. I mean, there, there, there. You, you can find it in the Wayback Machine if you, if you are. Oh. I guess we, we can Amazing. link it in the show notes if people want, if people oh want to my. see them. I'm, I'm looking at them now. If you have a favorite author, I'll pull, I'll pull their. I do not. I, I, I truly, yeah. truly do not remember enough. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's it was a, just, there, it was there, very. There's, it's healthy. There's a lot here. <laughs> Yeah, more than you would think. Like, you know, if you go on like AO3 now and you search like Pride and Wisdom, it does not have the same robust uh, numbers as it does back in 1996. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it was just very, you know, very similar. A lot of times John Constantine was a character. They were friends. There was like definitely multiple crossover stories to the point where I thought John Constantine was a Marvel character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know you've mentioned before that it is a very clear uh, inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very much so. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by this. I mean, I'm fascinated too by like how much more popular <laughs> X-Men comics were in the 90s than they are like now. I mean, obviously, there's still a lot of comics fanfic on AO3 and stuff, but I bet it was a lot more popular back then than it was now to be honest. I wonder. I don't yeah, have anything to that message that, board but... culture and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just very mm-hmm. very active. And I mean, now yeah. on Twitter I block anyone with a bad opinion, so like I don't see a lot of the discussion because like you know, <laughs> 6 months ago, 6 months ago someone said you know, Emma Frost sucked. And I was like, well, this person's never going to say anything of value. So me. I don't know. <laughs> Fair. You got to You got to be safe on Twitter. <laughs> All, right. All right. I want to talk more about Kitty and Pete, but let's do it in conversation with the issue. We'll do a little issue summary and we'll, we'll come back to it because I am honestly, earnestly very interested in exploring this dynamic and the appeal of it. Okay. I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We definitely murder murderous aliens to save you from a fate worse than death. In the meantime, here's a decidedly more pedestrian declaration of our affection in the form of a plot summary. Excalibur number 90 opens inside the Dream Nails base where Pete Wisdom is being tortured by a man called Shrine, who is an evil telepathy 
guy who will definitely be appearing in many more comics after this. Shrine is forcing poor Pete to relive dramatic memories, stuff like stealing an immortal heart from a doomsday cult and not being there for his mother when she died. The stress caused by these memories reacts with the alien bacterium in the atmosphere, which begins to eat away at Pete. Somehow it's vague and gross. Elsewhere in Dream Nails, Kitty Pride finds her way into a room where several aliens are being held captive. While she's there, she discovers the Black Air have known about the phalanx longer than the X-Men have, and that none other than the Hellfire Club have donated an alien to Black Air's collection. The aliens taunt Kitty by boasting that they were created by God, but have since killed God, hence their name, the Uncreated. The aliens attack Kitty, but this is a typical Tuesday for her. She easily phases through them and proceeds through the base to meet up with Pete, who's escaped and possibly killed Shrine. Pete does this by taking Shrine into a specific memory, in which he uses his vaunted hot knives to kill a whole bunch of people. The memory causes Shrine to experience stress, which causes the bacteria to eat him in turn. Pete, meanwhile, remains cool. Kitty and Pete download information about Dream Nails and Pete's deceased friend Cully, as well as the aliens, and escape in proper James Bondian fashion by blowing up the complex and slowly walking away from the explosion. Once aboard the Midnight Runner, Kitty admits her first impression of wisdom has changed somewhat. She proposes he join Excalibur before they kiss. Meanwhile, back on Muir Island, Amanda expresses her concern to Rory about his possible future as Ahab. Rory brushes off her concerns to return to psychoanalyzing the mutant serial killer known as Spore. However, Spore has learned that Rory has run out of mood stabilizers, which makes him susceptible <laughs> to his mutant powers. This mood stabilizers thing is so... Anyway. It's <laughs> not how that works. I don't know. <laughs> It's not like a superpower. Okay. Prozac has Spore a half-life to... literally like 30 seconds apparently in this world. <laughs> I, just, I just don't. Anyway. Spore begins to taunt Rory about his crush on Amanda. Yikes. Then Rory breaks a steel leg off a chair and uses it to beat Spore. Rory's hostile act causes the hostility-sensing lasers to flare and Rory loses a leg. Elsewhere on the island, Moira's foster daughter, Rain Sinclair, aka Wolfsbane, arrives on Muir on leave from X Factor. Okay, Liz, coming to you first though. First impressions on this issue obviously you have a memory of reading it back then do you have that that memory if you want to talk about it or do you want to talk about your current reaction to rereading this issue all these years later wherever you want to take it it's yours rereading it i did not think there was this much uh information about these aliens truly i i, I don't remember this at all I'm reading it and i'm like there were aliens like i knew there were aliens but i'm reading it and i'm like i don't i don't remember this whole thing about you know how they killed i i didn't remember that i really focused in i think i was also very invested in the unfortunately in Rory Campbell's plot line because I, I thought it would matter um oh. my bad <laughs> yeah so as an adult I mean I I enjoyed I, I enjoy like a little you know let's escape a little a fun little date that you go on you know like a fun mm-hmm. first date activity escaping from a lab where you've been captured I think it's really fun I do appreciate that it's a trope as well I must say it's 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 an easy sell for me on that trope <laughs> that whole backstory for the aliens it becomes like a little silver surfer comic for like five minutes which you know i mean i appreciate the effort i don't know first impressions from the from the rest of you andrew how are you feeling about this one i know it feels like you've got feelings about this one so tell us tell us about your feelings yeah i I think so like i I understand intellectually the appeal of wisdom You don't but, have to sugarcoat it. You can just say you hate him. It's fine. It's fine. Like, it wasn't an instantaneous thing. Like, I, I honestly think I gave him a pretty good chance. But we're at a point now <laughs> where every time he speaks, I'm laughing. And I'm not <laughs> supposed to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's too over the top and extreme. And he's just so forced into this team dynamic. I just, yeah, I I, I want to take him seriously. And I absolutely can't. Because he just he feels like frosted tip boy band shoved down your throat <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> 
hard because like I don't like have a beating heart for the character <laughs> but like I also am like I think the sort of patheticness and over-the-topness of the character definitely is part of the appeal though I mean I sense that as being like that's the thing that makes him melodramatically appealing like I, I feel that I can reach back into my teenage self and be like I probably would have gone for that I'm not sure again as an adult I'm a little different but I, I can see it it's four years away from having frosted tips we're way early for that <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes literal <laughs> well how about you Mav how are you feeling she can see the smoke rising from a cigarette in the dark. It makes blue-gray patterns and the minimal moonlight coming through the window. They're not speaking. She loves this compassionate silence that they always have right after. It gives her time to reflect on what has just happened. It lets her sit and daydream about his kisses. The lovemaking was good, as it always is, but it was the kisses that occupy her thought. This is from Smoke um, by, a, by a writer um, named Jinx, who is very big on fonts of wisdom, as I've been perusing while we've been talking. Oh um, she's very oh talented, I'm, and, and I'm very much enjoying this. Um, I, I, I get it. I'm like dying, <laughs> dying. I'm I'm sorry. I like I I'm I'm not on team Andrew, team Andrew here. I I get it. I understand why he's laughable. I understand why he is a cliche. He is so the 90s. Pete Wisdom is the 90s incarnate. I was in college at this point. I knew this guy. I knew 87 of this guy. Uh, no. <laughs> you did not. I knew this, this guy, guy is literally a sociopath in this story. Like that's how I knew 87 of this guy no, wandering around campus. He's a sociopath. <laughs> Like I, I, I so much canonically. I so much knew this guy wandering around campus who's just like, no, I'm. Is he a sociopath or is he or is he like tortured because you know it's a look. It's a it's a it's a look. Like his identity is no, I'm I'm a tortured artist. I know, but like he's because because I'm I'm deep and I'm you know I'm gonna have a cigarette. I'm gonna wear my trench coat and then I'm just gonna I'm gonna think deep thoughts and be tortured by them. And I'm I'm hoping that I can find a slightly younger girl to come and fix me. That's Pete Wisdom. And I get it. And I, I get why it's problematic. And I mean, for God's sake, Andrew is a father. I understand. I, I totally I totally get why, <laughs> why Pete Wisdom is bad. <laughs> like, but but I also understand the appeal of Pete Wisdom to a 14-year-old girl reading these comics in 1997. I get it. It totally makes sense to me. So, you know, <laughs> this story was what it what it was. I, I'm not as down on it, obviously. I, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's high art. I, I think it's kind of a he's got more to do than he has the last couple of issues. Like he's got a he's got a personality that is solidifying into something that is, you know, corny and, and cliche and very 90s. Liz, you said that like you you read fanfic where John Constantine, you know, literally shows up that scans i get it he could have walked into this book it would have been just fine the actual plot of this story read it earlier today don't remember anything anna just gave a gave a recap i've already forgotten doesn't matter <laughs> just pete pete's gonna be angsty yeah. and then they're gonna kiss at the end that's the story that's it that's what we got <laughs> i agree that that's the important part of the comic i don't know i just okay apologies i've got some flaws talk about i've got some flaws with it mostly it's rory my most of my problems are with rory yeah. not with pete honestly i need yeah. to mention lucifer just briefly and i really apologize in advance. <laughs> but i just it's something i've been thinking about a lot in conversation with that show and you know like your mileage on lucifer as a character and like are you 
you somebody who's going to be like, oh, he's like perfect because he feels bad about all this stuff. And therefore, I like him even more because even though he's a bad guy, he feels bad about it. And therefore, he's worth it. And like some people have that reaction to it. And I do think it's very manipulative the way they do that with male characters. You know, they do a horrible thing and then they cry about it. So it's fine. And I'm very susceptible to that. And I mean, there's a serious problematic undercurrent of that, like the way that we're, you know, expected to fix men and, you know, empathize with men and like so much of like your training as a woman is about that and I'm very aware of that like seriously I am but at the same time like the desire to have empathy with somebody and like the desire to connect with somebody who is damaged and understands you because they're damaged that's also like a romantic trope (laughs) that is not negative Mm -hmm. at its core and I have a lot of mixed feelings about that and I see a lot of that going on here with Pete where it's like you know the story is soliciting empathy with him and you know how badly he's broken actually makes him more appealing i would say that there is still a point of um too much excess like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean cable comes on the scene everybody's like give him more guns it's awesome more guns more Mm -hmm. guns more guns and then there's like that one scene i think it's in like x-force 14 or something where it's just too many guns and no one can take cable seriously anymore to me pete (laughs) wisdom is carrying too many metaphorical guns in this issue yeah Uh, really it's just it's over the top to such a degree that i can't even take it seriously anymore what is the what is the wrestling thing like the opposite of jobbing because that's like what this is like the way he's being like built up so much in this issue like with like it's called being goldberg (laughs) it's just called being goldberg (laughs) (laughs) i I mean i i actually feel a little differently than andrew because i i think he is cable is exactly that you know he is too much and i i remember i think it's x-force number three it's real early on where cable orders shatterstar to use his like focus your your chi through the sword trick and kill everybody and shatterstar does and he's like that's very tiring and cable why didn't you just shoot them and cable's like because i wanted to save on ordinance and like that's like it's literally like just this is rob liefeld and fabian nicey as a saying no we're just trying to go for cool here substance doesn't matter nothing matters and i feel like pete isn't that i feel like pete thinks he's deep he's not and again it's why again i knew this guy (laughs) in college um he's not all that impressive but i i get how he like he doesn't even carry a gun he's tortured he's sad he doesn't want to kill he's willing to he's willing to sacrifice himself and yes they are all just tropes it is just the tropes of the of the 90s and if they had gotten a movie deal at the time keanu reeves would have played him like that's that's what they were yeah. pretty well too yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well let me come with back a very bad british list. accent Keanu's accent is Keanu's accent work, work is not good in the 90s no so. it's not they would be hilarious <laughs> it would be but hilariously perfect. bad somehow perfect but yeah let me come back to you with the red list we've spouted we're spouting off all our ideas about about pete but like i'm interested to hear you talk a little bit more about it you know and like what you saw or see in like the kitty and pete relationship like i mean what does kitty see in pete you know like why is this appealing to her because we keep talking about the Pete of it all but of course like identifying with Kitty in this space is like a big part of the appeal of this as well yeah for sure I feel like for Kitty and this is just you know me putting myself in that headspace for Kitty every man she knows has known her since she was 13 years old and she was like a weird little you know gremlin of a teenager loved her loved her as a weird little gremlin of a teenager but now she thinks she's like an older adult and you know she had like her embarrassing little crush on you know Alistair and that you know, obviously never materialized. And she had whatever she had with Rachel and that never materialized, depending on your mileage may vary on whether or not that materialized. But, you know, 
on page. Um, and so she's had all these, you know, crushes on people. Nothing's ever worked out. And, you know, Peter is a whole mess. Not even, not even dealing with that. <laughs> I won't even bring it up. So she's just had like all this stuff. And then she meets this guy and he kind of sucks. Objectively, he kind of sucks and he's kind of a mess. But he really does. I mean, he starts off and is an asshole, but he really does start to respect her. You know, there's a couple of scenes mm-hmm. in this whole arc where he's like, oh, like, I think it's in an earlier issue, but he, they get shot at by, you know, his enemies or whatever. He's like, oh, you probably need a drink to like settle your nerves. And she's like, I've been doing this since I was 14. I've been shot at before. Like, this isn't a big mm-hmm. deal. He's like, oh, okay. And then in this issue, she goes in to use the computer and he's like, oh, you can you can do that? Wow. Like, it's just very like, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's probably a nice little self-confidence boost for her. And I do feel like that's the thing when like, you know, someone who's older and like, I mean, he has a job. Like, he's not cool, but like to her, he's probably cool. Um, like, yeah. he just seems like a very cool guy. And he's like, oh, wow. Like, he, he seems to respect her. And that's probably like a very nice confidence bump. And I feel like that on her end might be part of it. Yeah. And I mean, I really felt that too. I mean, the way Alistair treated her like a child, which, you know, was appropriate because she was a child. She's been artificially aged up in weird ways. But, you know, even Kurt, sometimes we complained about the issue where he won't like let her go off on her own and is sort of like treating her like a child, even though other times he treats her less like that, but still like he's not blameless. And, you know, think about how appealing it was to her when Courtney didn't treat her like a child, right? Well, sad or Courtney, whatever. But, and that was like a huge part of the appeal there. And like, I do see that very deliberately throughout this story arc. You know, he's not telling her to, well, I mean, he tells her to stay behind because he tells everybody to stay behind because he's a loner. But yeah, when he sees her reveal these skills, he's not put off by that or anything. He's like, oh, that's really useful. Oh, that's so cool that you can do that. Hey, can you do that thing? And he's just so like impressed and like, nonplussed about it and I did feel the appeal of that as well I was like I get why this would be appealing to her like that being taken seriously being treated like an adult this guy who's just gonna like take you off on an adventure and not judge you you know there's like no excess morality to anything that Pete does and like that's appealing to Kitty too I mean people are always telling her to be a good girl people are always like kind of forcing her into that role and she's always forcing herself into that role because she is that like overachieving perfect student type And like, he's letting her rebel against that a little bit. And again, I think the appeal of that makes a lot of sense for her in the context of this story as it's been presented to me. His kisses are like sex on their own. They make her shake and shiver and feel like she's been being melted down from the inside out. Suddenly, just thinking about them isn't enough. She turns over in bed and takes the cigarette from him. She places it on the windowsill with the lit in hanging off uh, off of the edge. When he opens his mouth to protest, she places a finger over his lips to silence him. Um, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. That, that's literally. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I okay. So here's the thing: you're what you're what you're talking about with it, and you even pointed out the Alistair with it, which I think is good because Alistair she's 16 ish we we talked about it go back and listen to those episodes where we you know tried to figure out exactly where where she was supposed to be situated and he's an adult and he treats her little sistery and it irritates her yeah. reasonably so it irritate um, reasonable for him to treat her that way reasonable for her to be irritated by it right yeah um yeah. Pete Wisdom, however you feel about his personality, however you feel about the age gap, he is Kitty's opportunity to have an adult relationship for the first time in a way that Piotr is not, in a way that Alistair is not, in a way that even Rachel and and Ilyana, if you presume that they had any kind of relationship, they are peer relationships. Ilyana, they're both underage. Rachel... It's weird, but like wisdom is literally just her having, you know, you meet a guy, 
he's kind of cute. You don't get along at first, but then you kind of have chemistry together and then you start banging. And that's the relationship Kitty has with them. And it really isn't, you know, they just sort of fall into bed together and they start hooking up and that's their relationship. And that will be their relationship. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Like I'm not trying to diminish it. Pete Wisdom is not someone who is her presumed in game the way Colossus was supposed to be. And it's not someone who is I'm going to be engaged to like uh, like Peter Quill is right. Like this is her just like, look, I'm an I'm a grown up now. I'm college aged, even though we don't see her go to college in Excalibur, but she's, you know, of the age where she would like to have a grown up relationship and experiment with being in, uh, being in a grown up relationship. And he's good enough for right now. And I don't think it was ever supposed to be more than that. And I think that that makes him appealing because it means that smart girls can have that too in a way that Kitty is often excluded from that. Yeah, I mean, we, we got into this like a little bit briefly, but like, it does make me nervous the way... Like, and I'm not saying that this is everybody, because, you know, again, like, we can't emphasize enough. It's not that we're saying Pete Wisdom is a good person. That's not the conversation no. we're having here. <laughs> no, he's a bad person. <laughs> I like him because yeah, he's a bad person. <laughs> I, know, I know, but it's just that, like, the thing is, like, there is this emphasis among some fan spaces and fans, like, among about kitty's innocence you know and that like they don't want her to make these kind of bad decisions because they're very invested in a certain version of kitty and i i do find that factoring into the way some people react to this relationship because again like i'm like i'm like situating them as like an otp or something but i'm like i get why she would go for him in the context of this story like, and i think that that should be a reasonable thing to say that's good hair Kitty has killed people. Like, you know, Definitely. she's not a, a, a <laughs> child. Right. And, you know, as you're saying, she says that, right? I mean, she, like, points that out when they're in the bar, right? And he, like, offers her a drink, notably, which, you know, again, it's England, so, like, that is actually legal, but, like... Well legal. Yeah, yeah. she's well past... She's she's long overage, in fact. If, mm-hmm. Assuming she's 18 or 19, she's well in the period of where she can drink. <laughs> yeah. I, and, 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 but I like... But, I mean, the X-Men have always... The X-Men would continue in, say, Extreme X-Men after, which is after Excalibur. There's always a point where these people that she grew up around have a tendency to treat her like she's a child. And then um, you said you, you said with like the reason she likes Satter Courtney, I would extend this to in modern modern continuity, 2023, as we record yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Um, her mm-hmm. her relationship with Emma is also based on this Mm -hmm. because the reason Emma and Kitty get along now is because Emma sees Kitty as a grown-ass woman and which she is in the books now but like in a way that other people you know she's got to be little catch chin you know like (laughs) and Kitty likes being able to be presumed to be a full person even for the people who complain about wisdom oh because he's a mistake well okay people make mistakes and she's allowed to make them you know and i don't even think she's he's we're talking about him andrew you called him a sociopath he's not that bad in in a superhero context he's just the he's kind of mm-hmm. lame no, let's talk let's talk about that let's talk about that next he, he does so cry many feelings he is literally introduced <laughs> crying i mean that's his introduction yeah. i forgot it's just like i forgot about that until you talked mm-hmm. about it he he literally the first time we see this man this big tough man i mean not big but you know this regular sized man <laughs> he's just crying and i don't think that was the most common 90s thing like in comics 
Yeah, I mean, not that much. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, that's fair. I mean, why do you call I him a sociopath, Andrew? I'm curious. Because yeah, of the events of this that. issue specifically, uh, he's in a scene with a torturer telepath, and he describes mass murdering a whole bunch of people, and he specifically brags that he didn't feel anything, and that's how he makes the telepath go mad out of despair, and then takes him out. That, right, that's but he's sociopathy, trying to beat the... man. Well, he's trying to beat the bad guy, though. I mean, I don't think he's. But he I didn't mean, make okay. up the not feeling anything part. That was real. Yeah. Yeah, but like our our other yeah. heroes in this world are Wolverine and Gambit and Rogue and Aurora and Forge and like uh, everyone. Okay, I have tracked. A path. I, I think you know. I have tracked the murdering yeah. of all the X Men yeah. <laughs> quantitatively. Yeah, I, know. I know. Wolverine is like two. It's like two. Well, by now it's well, more. But, but yeah, by yes, now it, it, it would be more. But oh yeah, once Lovedale takes it. outside of Cla- yeah, outside of the Claremont era, and and he he, he certainly killed. You know, life in Madripoor is disposable. <laughs> Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, they don't count. But no, but that's that's interesting that you read it that way because I mean it depends which tropes you're kind of going to there because I sort of read it as part of the critique of the spy stuff, you know, the spy industrial state that's been going on since Pete's introduction and like mm-hmm. Pete didn't feel these things because he's a cog in the machine and that's actually something that makes you feel more sorry for him because like you're like, "Oh, because he had to do those things because he worked for this evil spy organization, now he's going to join Excalibur which is going to be better somehow even though is it but still i don't know i don't know i didn't read it quite I mean, the same way that you did i think he he's lying getting upset at, at some of the yeah. right, he got upset at some of the things so i was kind of just assuming it was like you know he was able to turn his most horrible i don't know it just i really did feel like he was either you know faking it or maybe he just has dealt with so much trauma that he doesn't have as many feelings about like the the ones he's already thought about a lot because when they, they talk about you know the first time when he has to steal that heart you know it's like oh there were like even dead little kittens and it seems as though that event caused him some sort of stress or pain so i don't know if he's just able to defeat the psychic kind of like a parallel to the rory campbell situation where they're also mm-hmm. having a weird interrogation i don't know mm-hmm. I yeah think it, it was like it was like a build-up of memories right because i mean yeah. you have like the outrageous memory of like the immortal heart and the doomsday cult and then you have the very pedestrian domestic memory of his mother dying and it wasn't like his fault or anything he just like didn't go to see her when she should have and then she dies so it was like i don't know it was just like this building up of like things and it did seem like well he has all this trauma which led him to not feel things about this thing but him not feeling things about this thing is like the power and curse of pete you know but see last issue so in the scene we talked about earlier where you know where pete's like hey you know it's okay to have a drink and she's like i've been shot at since i was 14 years old what's wrong like i'm used to it and he's just like i'm not Right. Like, I need this drink because he Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he is not as disaffected as he pretends to be. He wants to quit Black Air because he doesn't like murdering people. He's he's very emo, but he's being macho. I think he's lying to the psychic whose name I've already forgotten, even though he's an important character that has appeared so many times. since then. Maybe yeah, he's not a good uh, telepath. Like if you're a, a good telepath, telepath. If, if you're a medium telepath, that's a shitty job. That's what I think's happening. <laughs> well, I, I just well, it's just it just doesn't scan with anything else in this in the story though, right? Like we know he cries when he murders people. He still murders people because it's his job. But he, but we've seen him cry when he does it, and not like crying for effect. This is not like hey, I'm trying to get Kitty into bed so I'll pretend to be sensitive. When he cried because he murdered people in his first opinion appearance. Everyone around him was dead. That's yeah, not he was for alone. anybody. He was alone. Yeah, that, yeah, that's not performative. He's just, he's very emo and he can't, um, emo would be the word um, in the 90s for 
it for this character. Um, but he, but he is very emo, and he can't like he can't not be overcome with the emotion, but he can turn it off to beat the psychic. I think this is a Captain Kirk level trick. Yeah, um, that's compared sort of to how I compared to say compared to say Rory who cannot control his emotions for two seconds without drugs. I mean, like, we'll talk about oh the Rory God. story, I guess. But, like, I, just comparing yeah. this to Rory, literally from the second Rory pointed out that, like, there was the laser grid, I'm like, oh, this is where he loses the leg, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and I mean, I don't mean this reading. I mean, like, when I read it the first time, it's like, oh, it's going to happen. It's like, <laughs> yeah. um, it, if, if you've ever seen the movie Hot Tub Time Machine, where you spend the entire movie waiting for the guy to lose his arm because he's lost his arm in the future. And I have this similar feeling when, um, this is a, this is a, this is morbid, but just as an aside, if you're a fan of, of superhero stuff, as our listeners might be, and you've perhaps watched the Marvel Netflix series, series is, is, uh, series series i'm not sure never sure how to polarize that word but uh, i know it's just series all the ones the luke cage ones and the iron fist ones all of them with misty knight in it you spend the entirety of yeah. of those marvel Netflix. is this is this where she loses the arm <laughs> oh my god true. is it gonna happen is it, is it gonna happen when's she gonna lose the arm and you just do that the entire show and then she finally loses the arm in the defender show and i admit it i watched it I, i'm watching it and i go yes and then I realized, what am I cheering for? What's wrong for me? What's know, wrong with me? This name. That's where I see Rory here. Um, so yay, Rory lost the leg. But I, I wanted to feel something. And much like Andrew is afraid of Pete Wisdom, I felt nothing because I don't care about Rory. Wait, afraid? Rory lost the leg. I'm like, oh. Wow. Aspersion. Is that the emotion that I'm really feeling? It could be. Just, it just intimidated Andrew. <laughs> You feel fear for Rory? It just seems so stupid. I mean, like, like I think that's the comparison, yeah. though. I think Rory is. I think we're supposed to go. Oh, Pete knows how to control his emotions. Rory is yeah, ruled yeah. by them. So Pete is better yeah. than Rory. I instead, I get. I go. I get what Pete's doing, and Rory is an idiot. <laughs> like this is very obvious how this is going to go. You're a moron. Look, it's like Pete's got the appealing connotative masculinity of he can control his emotions, but then he's also emotional like which makes him like a viable romantic partner and so like it's like the two things going on i mean i don't know i just i did kept thinking about (laughs) i know i said this to like somebody one of my friends who was like starting to watch lucifer and they're like i don't know he seems like kind of a bad guy and i was like what are you talking about he cries all the time always (laughs) crying like why does the fact that he's crying make it better and i was like in my mind it just does it just does it feels so bad and i'm like it's just so similar to what's going on with pete here liz do you have more that you want to that you want to say about it do you have do you have another another defense of pete that you want to do before we talk about rory no i I mean i think i think i think we've hit on it i mean i think (laughs) is it a good relationship to be in no but this is the sort of mistake you make when you're you know young and like kind of yeah you're, you're 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 not you know you're out from under your parents you're like trying to like you're drinking you're having a good time you're going out to pubs maybe you're getting shot at it's fine um you know this is this is a sort of like fun little mistake in like 10 years you're gonna be drinking with your girlfriends and you're like oh my god i dated this absolute fucking loser mm-hmm. back yeah. then can i turn here i'm sorry um yes, yes you know you you, like i tell like sometimes i have a couple of drinks and i'm like oh my god when i was in high school i dated this guy in his 20s and he got scurvy because all he did was eat ramen noodles and it is i mean he was a loser he was dating a teenager and he was in his 20s but 
it's an extremely funny story. Like, to this day, I still laugh about this man. And so I think this is the kind of thing where Kitty, you know, her and Ileana are hanging out. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Pete Wisdom is that guy who gets scurvy because he doesn't eat any vegetables. Yeah. It's just... That is emotional scurvy. He's emotional Perfect. I don't know. I do think that the comic is sort of aware of that, though. Like the way it does make Pete kind of pathetic, right? And like you know, because as much as it's building him up into being kind of—I mean, I was interested in the way the different sort of artistic portrayals of Pete kind of relate to that, because we have a number of different artists on this book, and we've had different artists throughout the arc. And when we had uh, Williams on the last issue, I think, and he does a few pages here as well. And like those pages, he really plays up sort of the comedy value of Pete, whereas Lashley is Lashley, right? And everybody looks like a Lashley character everybody looks like a 90s character when Lashley draws them and we can't tell them apart which you know again we've praised Lashley lots he does some things really really well but you know multiple character types is not really one of his particular strengths so you know in the pages that are drawn by Lashley Pete does feel like this kind of like excessive perhaps sociopathic 90s character versus in the Williams pages he's more of this kind of like pathetic comedy character who I find I have a little bit more of affection for so it's like it's weird deciding which character which version of the character counts even in the context of this comic where we're getting like at least three different versions of him i'd argue just based on the art but also they can't decide what thing. his powers look like sometimes it's he's true. got little eye lightning sometimes he, it, they haven't decided yet well let me ask you about his powers like i mean superpowers often relate to like a character's personality i mean they're supposed to like metaphorize something about the character what's your take on pete's powers like why does he have hot knives as a power i mean <laughs> i don't know i don't have a good theory on it I, i'm anxious to hear yours i mean it's 19 90 and, and and knives are yeah. cool but you know what else is cool fire fire I mean, <laughs> honestly and he doesn't use them a lot and i do find it I, I do think it's interesting i mean as interesting as Pete could be i do think it's interesting that he doesn't like to use his powers like he very mm-hmm. rarely you know he mentions a couple times he doesn't like to use them he's very much you know he doesn't wear a superhero outfit he's not really into the superhero aspect he just wants to be you know james bond and mm-hmm. he's not succeeding at that either so uh, i'm not sure what his plans are <laughs> I mean, it occurs to me how similar his powers often look visually to Gambit's, and that feels and he like looks a choice like to me. He is Gambit, mm-hmm. yes, he's Gambit, which mm-hmm. is why I was like, yeah, you know, he's uh, he's the same guy. I, I get it. I get what they're doing here. He's, he's Gambit. Trench coat. <laughs> He has an accent. He has a gambit. <laughs> Let's talk about the Rory of this a little bit. I mean, I don't even know what I have to say yeah. about this other than, are we supposed to feel for Rory at all? Or is he just supposed to be the mm. worst? Because I've really lost track of what the story wants me to feel about Rory. I just, I've got nothing. I think we're I supposed to. I to the Star Wars prequels. The idea of you're watching a character turn into a more interesting variation of himself. And I think that doesn't always work if the character's bar is kind of low. Like if you want to do the story of the character being consumed and we lose that character to like a moral compromise, that's a good story if that character is established and we care about them, right? Uh, and Rory hasn't been established for me. And I think that's why I'm feeling a little flat about it. Yeah. Not only has Rory yeah. not been established, Ahab's not all that established. Like Ahab is, so yeah. Darth Vader is an interesting character. If there's a problem with the prequel movies to Star Wars, it's that, you know, there's no, he's set on this path because they're prequels and there's nothing, nothing matters because we know where the end goal is and Lucas was not a good enough writer to make me care about the journey that much. That's my flaw with those later, with the with the actual prequel films. The problem with Ahab and Rory is that Ahab is functionally not all that interesting either. He's a villain for Rachel, but he's a foil yeah. 
for Rachel and Rachel's gone and nobody else really cares about Rory. I mean, it cares about Ahab <laughs> except for Scott Lobdell and Scott Lobdell's not here anymore either. So <laughs> however you feel about Lobdell's writing, Lobdell had an idea there. He was clearly doing a thing and I didn't, you know, I didn't care for it then. And now the guy who actually cared isn't even writing the book anymore. And I don't feel like Ellis really cares i think ellis feels like hey i guess we're gonna connect to days of future past here that was three writers ago days of future past was chris claremont he was fired years ago at this point like why do we care about this <laughs> like, I, like you know you know like yeah. it, and and that's and that's my flaw with it so when rory loses his leg you go, huh, Rory lost a leg. All right. And, <laughs> and that's that? like, I get that I'm supposed to make the emotional connection there. I'm supposed to also be able to compare their stories, you know, uh, Pete Wisdoms and Rory's. And I'm curious what Andrew feels like because you don't like Wisdom. I feel like Wisdom's side of the story works so much better than Rory's. Like, I don't need the comparison. I just feel like Rory's a putz the entire time. It's like, yeah, you are obviously being owned by this you know g-list supervillain <laughs> like you know like yeah. like, like, like <laughs> the, the fact that you're losing here is pathetic dude because it's so obvious where it's where it's going it, like the the fact that he is owning you here and then he tells you what the plan is and you don't leave the room because you are lame and I and I can't <laughs> care about so you, stupid. but I think I'm supposed I to. Like I, the one grain of it that I'll stand up for is that like, well, we know Rory becoming Ahab is signaled as a potential catalyst for the days of future past reality coming to. So it's not necessarily that I care about Rory, but I do have like a grain of like, oh crap, like that could make that happen because he's becoming Ahab. So that part of it interests me. The Rory as a character part that doesn't really interest yeah. me. I doesn't don't know because Rachel's, Rachel's not there, so it doesn't work. <laughs> Right? Rachel's well, not okay, the well, person well, who matters yeah. for Rachel's in her. The other thing that I was going to mention was that, like, I do think once again that it makes Pete seem better, and specifically because of the little Amanda thing that happens here. Because, you know, mm -hmm. we just talked about the ways that, like, Pete wisdom is quite, like, unassuming with Kitty, and, like, to be honest, he's not really creepy with her. Like, to me, he just kind of is like the way he is with everybody. But the Rory Amanda thing here is creepy as hell. And like, also like Rory's gross masculine reaction to, to like, oh, she's like with that monster. Like, that must make you so mad. Mm. And it clearly does. And I'm like... That's like one of those things where that's such an easy way to make you hate somebody. You're like, okay, well, like... <laughs> He hates mutants, that's already come out. And he also specifically hates Nightcrawler. And he hates that Amanda, someone he has no claim to whatsoever, other than the fact she talked to him one time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like the creepiest <laughs> effing incel. And like, it's like so many layers of stuff and it makes Pete Wisdom seem so much more appealing in contrast. Because <laughs> like, and the, this, the two stories are brought together, like thematically. So I don't know, Liz, you were saying before that you were invested in this Rory plotline at the time. I, I mean, just thought, like, I, I mean, I thought yeah. it would matter you know like i thought oh like he's gonna he's gonna turn into ahab right before our eyes and we're gonna watch days of future past why did i think that would happen what like, <laughs> be realistic but i did like, i did kind of feel bad for amanda because the way she's introduced in this issue is like mm -hmm. oh this is amanda sefton she's great unfortunately she makes really bad choices all the time <laughs> like, <it's> just, <laughs> like put some salt in the wound not only is this creep obsessed with you but you also gave a valuable magical item to your evil mom like leave her alone 
alone. Give her a week off. Come on. I know. I know. I mean, I sort of like, I think I said this on a previous episode, I sort of like the thing with Amanda, how she is like a perpetual screw up and that's kind of her character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's something, even though she's always poorly defined and like, it's a lot for me to hang that on her. That is the theme of her though. I mean, it's almost like doing a list of the bad writing choices though also, because like we talked about the giving the sword to Margali thing and how that seemed like that was pretty clearly pushed by editorial because it was in this like last weird page and like Amanda being added to the book feels very editorially mandated too because she's just replacing Rachel and she's even replacing Rachel in like whatever romantic subplot with Rory when again there's no (laughs) basis for it and so yeah poor Amanda (laughs) I'm I'm gonna someday write an eight-pager for her and 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 fix her someday it's my mission We haven't talked about Rain. We need to talk about Rain and do a little intro of, of her on this book. So She's here. Let's talk. She is here and she gets that wonderful page where she's just wearing one of the most wonderful outfits. I love this look for her. She's got like the X-Men t-shirt. She's got the X-Belt. She's got the high as hell slacks. <laughs> like the, <laughs> the menswear slacks. She's looking awesome. I love this version of her with the mutton chops. Like this is a great look for her. I loved everything about that page tweeted it out couldn't possibly love it more but i don't know well let's talk a little bit about this character since it's the first time the first time we're getting to getting to know her and i mean i'll ask you about the character first andrew you know coming at it from the claremont history history angle you know what are some of the kind of tropes that have been bound up with this character historically she's she's a fantastic character um a lot of commentary on sexuality, particularly the idea of emergent feminine sexuality. Um, the werewolf is frequently used as a metaphor for um, male sexual uh, aggression, placing that superpower set into a really reserved character who's been through trauma and who's been brought up in the Catholic Church and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of pieces to Rain that are interesting. And another one of them is her relationship to Moira, uh, who she loves but is deeply insecure about Moira's love for her. And it's just anytime this character shows up, it's gigantic emotions, just emergent id. Um, and that makes her, I think, really, really useful in kind of a group character dynamic. So just her showing up is enough for me to be like, yay, Rain's here. Everything's going to be okay. I'm just so afraid <laughs> for her every time I see her. I just want her to be okay. Yeah. You know, I really do. Well, have you Poor read um, Prayer for Werewolves by Stephanie Burt, who's been on our show? Oh, I have not. I have not. It, I it's a poem about Rain Sinclair. Yeah. And it's fantastic Uh, and and speaks to this idea of um, the vulnerability of youth, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly queer youth, um, in a really kind of cool way. From from For All Mutants, right? Her poetry collection or chapbook? Yes. First poem in the collection, I believe. How have I not read it? I'm such a fool. I will rectify that. I don't know. Liz, what's your your mileage on our beloved Rain Sinclair? Are you excited about her joining Excalibur? And were you new to the character back when you were reading it? Would this have been your first time encountering her? Um, I had read some New Mutants at the time you know some of the old early issues of that but I hadn't been following her you know her current adventures I kind of at this point I was mostly you know reading quarter bin Claremont era and also Excalibur so definitely was not aware of like where she was coming from what what she was quitting to join you know Excalibur for but I was excited to see her I you know I felt so bad for that human Moira who had had been the only human to get the legacy virus it was so sad and um, I was so excited (laughs) to have someone here to support her (laughs) it's like many people have pointed this out to us on Twitter but like the retconning of Moira love it I think it's really weird it's it's especially weird yeah within the context of Excalibur and you're like thinking about how that relates to all of these relationships but anyway mm-hmm. 
X-Men. Love it or hate it. <laughs> I don't know, Mav. What, what's your... Are you excited about Rain joining the book? I'm going to say with only what I know in real time as I was reading it the first time. Yes-ish. So Rain wasn't new for me because, I've, as I've mentioned on the show before, I was also a very big fan of Peter Allen David's era of X-Factor. So she literally just like walked out of one book I was reading and into another book. And and that's how it that's how it played off because I was reading both books at the time. And so I saw her leave one book and just sort of change over. And it was kind of weird because she had interesting stories going on in X Factor. So I was like, oh, well, I hope that gets resolved. And, eh, you know, <laughs> like not so much. But I like the character for many of the reasons Andrew said. I like a lot of what she represents. I did then. I do now. I like her insecurity. And I like that Rain is perpetually tortured by. By her demons like everybody else but also in her case it's a lot uh rain's biggest problem is just her her own personal insecurity where i was interested about it was i was a big new mutants fan so seeing her interact with doug lock i was excited for mm-hmm. i don't necessarily know that i necessarily like where it ends up going but i was excited to see you know their her her relationship with cypher was very much a beginning and then it was truncated suddenly by his death so i was excited Excited to see where that was going when this came yeah out. i mean i feel like she's a good addition to the book because she is bringing all that emotional baggage with her i mean it's somebody for Moira to bounce off of that she has like the deeper relationship with her with and that's like good in the context of what Moira is going through i mean i'm so much happier for Moira to be paired up with rain than to be paired up with charles i'm happy that charles is gone from the book he was here for far too long um <laughs> so i'm happy about that <laughs> i'm sorry i'm always here for slandering charles <laughs> so there's that but like, and yeah, also your Susan are saying it, it. I know, but it, like that, it's it's bringing up those opportunities to reckon with who Doug Lock is. And again, I spoilers. I'm not going to be necessarily thrilled by where it goes either, but still, it's an opportunity to do some stuff with Doug Lock, and I am here for that. All right, let's go around and do some final thoughts. I'm sure there's something, a scene or a moment or something that each of us want to talk about that we didn't get a chance. This is a double sized issue, and there is so much mm-hmm. that we didn't talk about. Um, I'll let you go first, Mav. A scene or moment or something you want to circle back to that we didn't get a chance to talk about to the extended length that you would like she starts with his collarbone he loves this he's always (laughs) loved this and this time is no exception he groans hoarsely and speaks one syllable pride she shivers involuntarily but continues her conquest of his body she moves to his chest teasing flat male nipples with her teeth and tongue being rewarded with pete clenching his hands in the sheet below him in a concerted effort to not attempt to direct her to its anticipated goal he knows that she'll get there eventually and he teased her a little after all and turnabout is fair play um oh my god i'm sold i'm in i'm in <laughs> again j- jinx uh, uh and and i guess just to be fair since i've 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 referenced it three times uh we should link to the archived wayback machine version of this story smoke it's called um <laughs> by uh, a writer named jinx that uh you can find on on the web archive the wayback machine for font I, a, no- a note on that I mm-hmm. always find it funny, like one of my fascinations with fan fiction, I mean, I'll, I'll speak just because it's my own experience, like, you know, fan fiction written by women who are attracted to men, I'm just speaking specifically in that context, that the nipple, like the male nipples thing is always such a big thing. It's in every single story. 
Yeah. And I always wonder, like, is it a is it a convention or trope that like you inherit as a longtime reader of fan fiction that you know to incorporate into a story, or is it a thing that people all have as a desire that ends up coming out? Like, I mean, like, how much are these things originating in our minds, and how much are these like shaped by the tropes of the space? And I could not answer that for the life of me for myself because I've just seen that trope so often since I was like eleven years old that like have no idea where it comes from, and I get it, you know. It's this like little tiny like gender bending feminization thing that's like sexy and I get it, but like I really am interested in did everybody have that idea at the same time or did we all <laughs> develop and learn this idea from reading fan fiction? Could not tell you, but it fascinates me. Anyway, oh, sorry, so... digression. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. I, I, because it's re- <laughs> because because it's relevant because the reason I, I use that quote is I'm pretty sure Pete and, and Kitty fucking this issue. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Too. Like, yeah, like, At like, the this end? is this is yeah, this is a very explicit. I mean, as explicit as you're going to get in still code approved comics. Kitty and Pete have sex at the end of this issue. And the reason we know this yeah. is because she's flying the plane. She has explicitly taken off her gloves and her belt. And he has taken off his mm-hmm. trench coat. And they are on autopilot. They're not just making out. They've gone on to autopilot, which is a extended thing. And she has removed the belt in particular. So, like, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to understand that they had sex on the plane. And I think that that's actually a really important moment for the reasons about her relationship with Pete that we've talked about extensively on this episode, but also for the development of Kitty as a character. Kitty is a character who has up until this point, And this is why I think a lot of people have problems with like her aging and, you know, Oh, she's a, she's supposed to be a little girl. She's supposed to be a teenager. She's supposed to be. And I've always said, she's clearly not at this point. This is a moment where we say, this is a sexually active young woman with agency who has chosen, she's not being raped. She's not, you know, she has chosen this moment to hook up with this guy that she likes. And I think that is an important message. And like, I understand why some people might have preferred for it to be with Rachel for or, or Ilyana. I think you could probably read that she probably did have sex with, certainly with Ilyana. I don't know about with Rachel, at least not sex as we, I mean, she, Rachel, she certainly had intimate magical superpower moments with, but not the kind of <laughs> thing that we call sex on, yeah, on our like human. Stepping earth. inside um, someone's body and making a bunch right, of cream prize explode on right, everyone. Right. Yeah. Right. Those things I get, but I, but I mean, you know. I don't know that, I don't know that we ever have any evidence yeah, that yeah, they've yeah, yeah. been, physically naked in bed together. I think there's hints that she and Ilyana were. I think there's hints that she and Peter might've been, but this is an explicit look. I want you to know that they are in a sexual relationship and in future issues of this book, they will be treated as such. And I think that is an important moment for the development of Kitty enough. So that I think that's why you end up with stories like smoke that I've been reading throughout this episode. (laughs) So good. And I really want to make it clear. I am loving this story. I am not, I'm laughing in a completely affectionate way, not a derisive (laughs) way. I love fan fiction. It is very dear to my heart. I don't know. I'm like looking at the splash page and I'm glad you brought it up because it is worth talking about this splash page a little bit in depth. I mean, the imagery that you already mentioned, you know, with her taking off her belt and her gloves, that's very important as you're saying, you know, to situating her agency, you know, she's made this decision to take off those articles of her clothing. There's like, 
a phallic like stick shift in the foreground and the positioning of them too you know like he's over her but she's very much in a power position in terms of you know mm-hmm. how he's doing this very supplicant pose as he reaches down towards her which is very I'm romantic but also emphasizes yeah. her yeah exactly but also emphasizes her agency because she's reaching up towards him and she's in the chair I don't know it's like a very well done splash page I think in terms of selling you on this moment and this relationship and again you don't have to buy into it but I do think that the splash page is well done let's do some other final thoughts Andrew what have you got for us um maybe relatedly I've talked about my love of Larry Stroman's work is like the Gustav Klimt of Marvel um Mm. that two page sequence with Amanda not a great scene but his illustrations of Amanda in that scene are really good. And I would argue because of her sort of like, (laughs) like magical component, Uh, Amanda doesn't work with the Marvel house style at this time period. She'd be great for like a, like a Steve Ditko. Um, Mm -hmm. But for Stroman, like Stroman to me is the ideal Amanda illustrator. And he didn't Mm. disappoint me uh, on these two pages. Remind me to tell you my Larry Stroman story off, off air. um, And everybody else listening can just be jealous that you don't get to hear it. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> um I didn't have like a really good final thought other than I had questions about Pete's shoes on the first splash page which are like it's like a boot and then there's like a piece that goes over top with double laces and I'm like is he wearing like boots over his boots was this a style at the time please someone who was older than me at this time needs to explain what those shoes were or whether there's some sort of special spy shoes or what's going on here. I stared at them for an entire too long. On like the first splash page of the issue where Pete's in the chair and like he's wearing these weird shoes and I just cannot figure them out. Like it's just like, it's a lot of detail. Yeah. 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 But what is that? I don't understand. I did not have shoes like that in 97. I yeah I, I think it's supposed to be cool i think it's supposed to i think it's supposed to e- evoke like some kind of like a classy british shoe like um <laughs> but like but I, I, like I, but like nobody <laughs> bothered to actually like get a brogue and like <laughs> and like see what it looked like you think that's what it's going for oh my god i, I had no so. idea I, I think i think that that's i think it's the that, shape that's of a, a hiking boot i mean what is going on i i think it's a I so if if we moved into the future and we were talking about like a kingsman era where you're like rogues not oxfords i think they're trying to do that and then they just didn't actually get either shoe i'm more upset if that's the case than i was previously (laughs) anyway i have to let it go liz coming to you with some final thoughts anything any moments that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you would love to talk about or anything that you would like to circle back to the floor is yours you know what? I'll say something that's not Pete Wisdom related because I feel like I have talked about Pete Wisdom a lot. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty neat how Black Air has like an orientation museum set up. So like when you get assigned <laughs> to this to this alien project, you have to walk down a little hallway and get like a it's like it's very much like the scene in Thor Ragnarok where Thor is in that moving chair and they explain, you know, oh, is it Ragnarok? The, you know the one I'm talking about where he's in the chair and then then Stanley cuts his hair. It's great. It's but ra- it's very Ragnarok. much <laughs> Yeah. Why are they doing this? Why does Black Hair have a museum explaining where their secret connections to like the Hellfire Club? Why are you telling us this? I'm just oh I'm just God. the janitor. Like I'm just cleaning oh this hallway. God. Why are you telling me this? That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm so, so glad fun. that you pointed that so out. Fun. <laughs> Thank you. 
they are they are uh, a spy organization with a museum to their deeds that wears the logo of their organization on all of their clothes. Just the best spies <laughs> in the entire world. I love them. I was going to do just a couple of quick letters, uh, just <laughs> sections of them, because I have to, because they're hilarious. So all of the letters are um, about Excalibur, uh, a thing that happened, which we haven't talked about yet somehow. Anyway... Um, so all of the letters are about Excalibur, which is the AOA little event. And there Excalibur. are so many letters. Yes, yes. Excalibur. <laughs> like, there are like five separate letters talking about how cool AOA Kurt is and how they just want more AOA Kurt. And I just, I have to do a couple of them for you because they're very funny. All right. So the first letter I wanted to spotlight is from Jim Smith. <laughs> These are his Nightcrawler thoughts. I'm not so much an Excalibur fan as I am a Nightcrawler fan. I think he is a very interesting character and a bit underrated. Nightcrawler deserves the right to the name Mutant more than anyone. I thought that the Excalibur series was great because it's centered on Kurt. So, you know... <laughs> <laughs> complex thoughts there i also wanted to spotlight luke hartline's thoughts <clears throat> again about excalibur in this issue it was nice to see a woman damask say did you see the way his muscles moved under that fur like velvet great stuff i <laughs> love that they highlighted that <laughs> did line. you write this letter was this from you <laughs> it's I true i were... was i was <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's from luke hartline in toronto ontario canada if you yeah, can believe like that's that. A real I didn't name. even notice that at first. <laughs> <laughs> I am the worst line. guy in the entire world. <laughs> My pride broke it. My rage broke it. This excellent knight, who fought with fairness and grace, was meant to win. I used Excalibur to change that verdict. I've lost, for all time, the ancient sword of my fathers, whose power was meant to unite all men, not to serve the vanity of a single man. All right, we will leave things there. Um, other than to say, Liz, thank you so very much for returning to talk pride and wisdom with us. Before we go, we need to remind our lovely listeners of what you get up to and where they can find you. If you would like folks to find you online, um, either as yourself or your work, where can they where can they go to check out your stuff? Sure. So I write about comics at ComicsXF. And I write about books and television and stuff over at Gate Crashers. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am sometimes private and sometimes not. But my Twitter is Lizbeth Ann. <laughs> I pretty much accept anyone who, you know, tweets about comic stuff that requests to follow me. It's just a work thing. I got a new job. I'm very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what have you been reviewing lately at Comics XF? Are you still on New Mutants? I'm still on New Mutants. It's on a break right now. I'm not sure when this is coming out, but New Mutants starts up in March 2023 with a new That's arc right. um, with Charlie Jane Anders. So that should be exciting. But yeah, uh, things as they come. People definitely should check out the New Mutants reviews, which Liz does with past guests who we talked about in this episode, Stephanie Birch. They are always um, wonderful and it's been a really good run of comics. So you should definitely go and check that out. And we will definitely link that in the show notes. Featuring um, Rain yeah, Sinclair, thank- also appearing in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. And Magic. Perfect time. Who should appear in every episode. Yes. True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much again, Liz. I'm just, <laughs> I'm riding you the for high having of this me. Pete conversation. This is delightful. <laughs> I'm so glad to know that my favorite website of 1996 is available somewhere on the internet. That is very heartening. Very heartening indeed. 
So next we will be covering Excalibur number 91. Baby, I love you. It's the pub issue, you guys, because we all deserve a shot of fun and lots of shots after this top secret alien murder. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, plus our holiday specials. You can find those on the Vox Popcast YouTube channel or our website. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pictures of as a guest or a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Matt, for another mood-stabilizing conversation. Thank you, Liz, for bringing both pride and wisdom. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. I'm not gonna lie, I want to take the rest of the night off and check out that website. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta see if I can find some of my old favorites. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>